You're listening to the Bold Face Truth Podcast, episode 425. You can find information on anything referenced in this episode at amygreensmith.com slash EP425. And I want to also offer a quick trigger warning for this episode. We will be talking about trauma and some terrorist attacks on the U.S. and if anything of that nature is a little bit too taxing for you, that is completely fine. Please take care of yourself. Oh, hey there. Check you out listening to self-help pods and working on yourself. Fuck yeah. You know those situations where your boss asks you to take on yet another project at work or your partner asks you what's bothering you and you respond, with a bold-faced lie, what would shift for you if you actually started telling the bold-faced truth? Everything. Listen, if you struggle with people-pleasing, perfectionism, believing in yourself, and could use a little help with boundaries or navigating tough conversations, you are in the right place. I am Amy Green-Smith. I'm a certified and credentialed life coach, master hypnotherapist, and keynote speaker. Fancy. And I've been working in the personal development space since the mid-2000s. Vintage. Sometimes I'll be sounding off solo, and other times you'll hear amazing conversations with super smart folks offering you tangible, easy to implement tools so that you can powerfully start telling the bold-faced truth. Yes! Hey, hey, pod people. Amy here, and I am thrilled to have you tuning in today. I think that there is a really prevailing concept that's happening around our personal development culture right now, where we're talking a lot about trauma, we're exploring what that actually means. And I think many of us are starting to realize that we've all actually undergone trauma. In fact, if you did not catch the episode with Dr. Valerie Rain, I highly suggest you do, where she talks about patriarchy stress disorder and how literally every single one of us is navigating some sort of some sort of trauma and for many of us it's compounded multiple elements of trauma whether it's family of origin uh, if you're a part of a marginalized identity in whatever situation it's likely that you can relate to being to feeling as though life is happening to you instead of for you and I wanted to bring on a guest who could specifically talk to a traumatic experience who had undergone extreme, extreme rage and was able to move through to a place of forgiveness. So I couldn't think of anybody better than Jennifer Kaufman. So I'm going to give her a ring here in a minute. Hopefully she picks up and we're able to chat with her a bit. Long story short, y'all, Jennifer Kaufman was a survivor of the Boston Marathon bombing. And I'm not going to give away too much because hopefully she'll be able to share her story. But I thought this was such an incredibly important message to share because in the middle of such an egregious, extreme, traumatic event, she was able to advocate for her own healing And I want her to share what that actually looked like. What does that mean to actually forgive somebody who has caused extreme trauma in your life? And what does that mean? Does that mean that you are condoning what they did? 
does that mean you're setting yourself free? What does that really look like? So I'm going to give her a dial up here in just a moment. And for those of you who are wondering, uh, I thought I was listening to the Joy Junkie show. Wanted to just let you know, I announced a week or so ago that I have decided to change the name of the podcast to better reflect what I actually discuss, which is very infrequently joy and much more frequently about speaking up for ourselves. And I thought, hey, how many times do we get stuck in that people-pleasing trap and we just keep telling bold-faced lies instead of the bold-faced truth. So I wanted to really focus on the latter and explore what might shift for us in our life if we started telling the bold-faced truth. In addition to that, I have changed the URL from my website. So now you will hear going forward, Amy Green Smith. That's where you can find everything. All of the Joy Junkie stuff should still forward. So you shouldn't have to worry about past episodes or anything like that. But wanted to just give you the heads up that a handful of things are changing. So without further ado, let's dial up Jennifer and see if we can discuss a little bit more about rage and forgiveness. Hello, is this Amy? Jennifer. Hey, yes, it is. How are you, my friend? Well, you just caught me out of a rage attack and now I get to put my joy face on. Like, what's that all about? <laughs> well, I am so glad. Okay. Do we, should we do some breath work or anything like just to, to calm down or, or are you well, actually, okay? Actually, just your bubbly personality is enough to shift it at the moment, but it's like, oh, do I answer the call? Do I not answer the call? What do I do? Oh my gosh. You're the sweetest. Well, I, I would love to talk about this concept of rage and I'm here with my audience and we've been talking about thriving after trauma. And I thought, okay, Jennifer has the best, the best information on this and story. And so I'm curious if you would have a handful of minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes to just kind of share a little bit about your triumph. Sure, Amy, for you, anything. Hey, I love, that's what I like to hear. All right, fantastic. So let's let's just start with a little bit of context and jump kind of feet first into this survival story. And from what I understand and what I've read about you and your your books and your movies, April 15th, 2013, pivotal moment standing approximately 15 feet from the finish line at the bombing of the 117th Boston Marathon. So yeah, I would say you're probably an expert on speaking to trauma. And <laughs> so take us back through uh, as much as you're willing to, to dig in. Tell us a little bit about that story, about that day, what happened. Let me give you a little context for your listeners. And um, I'm born and raised in Boston. I know Boston like the back of my hand. Um, I actually grew up in the suburbs, but I went to university and worked in, in the city for years. I had never been to the Boston Marathon. That This was my first year going as a spectator. A dear friend of mine asked if I would go because her son was running for the first time. 
Yeah, so for me, it was my very first time there. And, you know, I grew up as an athlete, but my idea of athleticism was behind a white ball, like a soccer, you know, soccer ball, softball, whatever. Long distance running was not my thing. So I never had a desire to go to the marathon. We ended up making a day of it. We went, um, we went out by the start line and saw the first wave of runners go by. And I remember being in awe. I literally was touched, moved and inspired because I saw the disabled runners running by first. And these are people that, you know, had one or two prostheses. There were blind runners. There were people that were like, just like, you know, clearly had some sort of physical disabilities and were struggling to even walk, let alone run. And I'm, I remember just being like, wow, like that, what a, I had no idea that the marathon would be this inspiring. We ended up going to the finish line a few hours later. And, you know, it was just a really magical day, to be honest with you. People were happy-go-lucky and, you know, cheering and just like, you know, the crowd was electrifying. And out of nowhere, the first of two explosions went off. Wow. And life as I knew it was shattered. Literally, I remember physically feeling shattered from that experience and yet I went into survival mode, right? Like, you know, of course, when something like that happens, your first instinct is, okay, you've got you've to figure out a way out of that situation. And that's generally what we did. We did manage to get away from the actual scene. As we did that, I realized that there was something seriously wrong with me and I ended up in the ER. You actually had experienced physical trauma from being that close that you didn't realize because you immediately went into kind of survival mode. Mm -hmm. And what did, yeah. what, what did you think had happened? At first I thought it was a gas explosion okay. because to me, it felt like the, the explosion came out of the building that I was standing in front of. That's what it, that's what I thought at first. But when the second explosion went off, I realized it was more than that. And, and in that moment, I knew it was a terrorist attack, but yeah, what happens is, you know, adrenaline kicks in, right? Sure. Like adrenaline kicks in, you know, you are in fight or flight mode, right? And I was in flight mode. Um, and it was really about how do we get ourselves to safety? I was aware that I had extreme excruciating pain in my left ear. That's all I was aware of in that moment. But it was, you know, it was like, okay, it is what it is. I wasn't aware of some of the other physical injuries that I later realized I had until probably 45 minutes after we fled the scene. And then I ended up in the ER. I ended up in the ER and that was an equally traumatic experience for me, you know, out of respect to the doctors and nurses who I know were doing their best. But imagine being in a situation where you're 15 feet from the first explosion, you see things that no human being should ever, ever have to witness. And then you end up in an ER and you're just bombarded with doctors and nurses at your bedside. Now, at the time, I ended up convulsing from the neck down because of all the trauma in my body, but I didn't know what was happening, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. at the time. And I was restrained, and I felt trapped, and I felt like I can't even get myself out of the situation. I don't know if I'm going to live or die, um, and everything was just complete chaos. And I remember, like, the doctors not even listening to where I, I was at. I was complaining of extreme um, abdominal pain and they were talking as if I was having a heart attack. Something happened several hours into that experience where I heard my intuition basically say that I needed to learn how to heal naturally. I have no idea how to do that. None. And so 
you know, just imagine being terrified, mm-hmm. not knowing if you're going to live or die. And then you're faced with the decision of what do I do now? And so, you know, we started this conversation talking about rage, right? Okay. So my, my terror and fear turned into rage. And I remember um, in the days after the bombings, how I would silently, I was angry at God in the universe. Sure. Right? Like, how does this happen, right? There is a thing called survivor's guilt. I had wished I had died that day and not have to you know, deal with the aftermath and, and how on earth would you rise up from that? I had that going on, but at the same time, you know, the two young men, although they didn't know who they were at the time, were on the run. And I just remember silently thinking about what I would do if I could get my hands on them and how I would want to take their life. So my rage, my rage was off the charts. If you would have said to me, that I would A, live through a terrorist attack, B, have to deal with the inner terrorist within myself, and then go on to forgive those two young men that did that and now say that that was the greatest gift of my life, I would have said, you're absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Sure. But that's the truth. I've learned the hard way that everything in life is happening for us, not to us. So my rage, candidly, was I felt out of control. Um, I felt like, you know, I had no control over my life. And that really wasn't the truth, although it felt like the truth at the time. When something happens in our lives, now listen, you don't have to go through a terrorist attack to deal with rage. So the question is, what do we do about it, right? What I've come to learn is the rage is showing to me like a warning sign on a dashboard of a car. I've got to pay attention to this. I've got to find a way to alchemize the rage that is with inside of me. Our tendency or our minds want to tell us to lash out at another person, right? It's just, it's just like, I think part of the human phenomenon is, you know, but that doesn't, that doesn't serve anyone. And it's really about taking a step back, taking a pause and really starting to go within yourself. And where does this rage come from, really? And for me, it brought back memories of my childhood mm-hmm. that hadn't been dealt with. I had childhood trauma too, that went unresolved. And, and here's the thing, Amy. I believe every single person on the planet has experienced trauma of some form. And so what if the rage is helping us to go do the inner work because that's what it takes, doing the inner work to alchemize that and rise up, having be stronger, having gone through that experience. And that's the opportunity. And it's literally a choice. Now, I just recently finished a film called There's Gotta Be More to Life. I feature one of the experts called, her name is Christy Whitman. Christy's actually one of my mentors. And Christy awesome. taught me that, you know, every emotion is obviously it's energy in motion, right? We all know that. But what I didn't know that Christy taught me was that if we allow ourselves to experience those difficult emotions, such as rage, such as sadness, Mm -hmm. generally speaking within 90 seconds, if we don't resist it and just allow it to be, and don't make it mean anything, within 90 seconds, that will actually 
you'll it will crest and you'll be on the other side of that. And what I have found is when I allow myself to go through that, I experience peace on the other side. I experience, and sometimes I experience bliss actually, mm-hmm. which is mind boggling. But energy is just a wave of, it's just a, you know, it's, it's a wave in motion. And when we can allow it to come up and out of us, there's tremendous healing that happens. But I don't know about you, Amy, but I was taught it's not cool to be angry. There was no place for it, right? Like, you know, growing up, I'd get punished for being angry, right? Okay, you get timeouts, you get whatever. As an adult, you go into university or college. There's no room for that, right? You get thrown out of class and, you know, in its worst form, you get expelled. You go into the corporate world and it's like there's no outlet. But yet it's a God-given emotion. To me, it denotes somebody's crossed a boundary, a healthy boundary, and it's just a reaction point. And so the key is to not lash out and to not be a reaction to it, easier said than done. I'm still learning to master that one. But it's actually like, okay, taking that pause. And like in, in that moment, giving yourself the, the very thing that, that I think we're all wanting more of, which is love. Well, it's interesting because I, we've talked a lot about how emotions are just simply messaging. You know, they, they are a signal of emotional pain, the same way we have physical pain and it, it doesn't serve you if like your knee is acting up or your elbows acting up or to, to go, Oh, no, no, nothing there, nothing there. Right. We know all those people who refuse to go to the doctor until it's emergent. And the same is true for our emotional self. Whenever we're experiencing pain, we, it's so much easier for us to run from it, to drink it away or fuck it away or gamble it away, or even noble things like work it away or throw yourself into parenting. And it sounds like that was a little bit of your story of, um, let me just be incredibly successful and not look at some of my childhood trauma. And we did an episode a while back about new trauma, kicking up old trauma. And that's exactly what happened for you. It sounds where it was a reckoning of not only is it this instance that you need to process, but, oh yeah, you've got some historical healing that needs to happen here. And as you were talking, I was thinking about that human urge to run. And that's, that's one of the things that I want to say to everybody is it's completely fine. If you move through a less evolved, a less becoming version version of yourself at the beginning, I think there's this misunderstanding that once we have these tools or once we become more quote evolved, that then when we're put in really trying tumultuous situations, that we're going to somehow magically be have this equilibrium where we're not going to feel rage. We're not going to feel upset. We're not going to feel sad. And so I think sometimes it's about moving through that grief, feeling what you feel, feeling the rage so that you can get to the other side. But I think for a lot of people, if you're right in the middle of the rage, you're right in the middle of that extreme anger, telling somebody or asking somebody like, what's the learning or how could this be the best possible thing that ever happened to you? Feels a little bit like, uh, why don't you fuck right on off with that? Because I'm in the middle of my rage fit. Right. So I'm really curious about your journey to be at peace with that. 
because I remember I had a very similar situation. Well, I, I can't say similar situation where my father passed away in front of me, like right there. And I remember thinking very certainly at the time, like this is the most extreme level of emotional pain I can imagine sustaining. And it wasn't until I really allowed myself to plow through that grief. And what that actually looked like was checking out at a grocery store and just bawling my eyes out, pumping gas and not silencing my sobs. When people said, how are you breaking down and saying not the best, right? It was, that's what it looked like for me to be in the fucking grief. But then I surmounted it and was so much more resilient. Like it was able to move through me and I was able to have so much more peace around it. So for, for people out there who are listening and going, okay, yeah, I'm in the middle of that rage place. I'm in that place where I can't forgive my parents. I can't forgive this company that I work for. I can't forgive my ex-husband, or I still have so much fury towards this human. Where do they start? How, what's that first step of unpacking that rage? So for me, can I, I actually, I'm going to answer the question, but telling a little story in the process. Perfect. So when my rage was just like, you know, it felt out of control and I didn't know how to rein it in, frankly. And then I'd get more upset that I was so rageful. And <laughs> I realized that, okay, pause, treating, treating something the same way that you went into it does not solve the problem, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I learned in my own experience was the more rageful I got, I had a setback in my healing. And all I wanted to do was find a way to rise above it. But I had so much physical and emotional trauma that, you know, having a setback was like literally weeks, if not months. So every time I'd experience the rage, it'd be a setback, which made me more angry in the beginning. And what I, I actually did this little trick because I, I was really struggling with it for myself. I have a niece who looks very much like me. And I would say to myself, if Megan were going through this, how would I treat her? What would I do for her? Would I be yelling at her? Would I be pissed off at her that she's experiencing this rage and all of that? No. What would I do? And so whatever came to mind in that moment, and it often was, I would just hold her and just tell her how loved she is. And I would just let her vent and let her express her anger because it's valid. And, and just, and I would, so I would literally just yell, I'd give myself permission to yell and scream. And, you know, in the beginning, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to just keep doing this for, you know, hours. No, I barely did it one or two minutes. And all of a sudden something would happen. Either I would cry mm -hmm. or I would laugh, but either way, I was able to get that out of my system. And that was one thing I did. And the other thing is I just would be like, I'd be more loving and kind to myself. Like, it's okay. You've gone through something that you can't even imagine that you've been through. It's okay to feel this way, but you don't have to stay here. I realized that I had to give myself the very thing that I needed, which was self-love. Because the critic was coming to town fast and furious. In fact, my inner critic, I learned, ended up was my, my own inner terrorist. And that was the irony of it. And you're right. I was very successful in my twenties and early thirties. 
because I was running from my past and I was running from my trauma in hopes that someday I would outrun it. Sure. Well, the irony is I'm at a, at the marathon and a bomb goes off and it stops me dead in my tracks to face not only that experience, but all of the other experiences that I had not healed. So for people here today, do the work because it's a compound effect, right? If you don't do the work, it literally will come back and it is magnified. And frankly, it makes it more challenging and it doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. And so I would say to people is that you have the right to express your upset and do it, you know, allow yourself to do it quickly. Like, don't take it out on yourself. Don't take it out on someone else. But just like, I would literally just scream at the top of my lungs. Mm-hmm. And within a matter of a minute or two, it would shift. Yes. And I find that there are so many people, I talk to my students a lot about this, that they are so afraid of sort of opening up the dam or the can of worms. They are afraid that that emotional release won't ever stop because it feels so looming and so large. And I tell them all the time, we can't sustain one emotion like that for long periods of time. It has to move through us. And that's bravery, my friend, that's courage in a world where we are constantly told, don't show how you feel. Don't process your emotions. You grow up in a family that says, we only want you to behave a specific way. Also, especially for those of us who identify as women. And, and we don't realize that like healing is actually on the other side of that. We're able to sustain uncomfortable emotions. It's the same way. It's like, oh my gosh, this broken leg or this injury, we are so much more able to sustain pain than we think we are. And we create more of it through those defense mechanisms, right? So you had a really noble defense mechanism, which was high achievement, um, accomplishment. And a lot of people do that, right? It's not just, I don't want to feel my pain. So I turn to alcohol. Sometimes that is, but sometimes we turn to things that we can sell really well to ourselves. Like just be a perfectionist, just be, you know, just get another degree or two and then you'll, everything will be fucking fine, but you're just continuing to chase that actual internal healing. You're, you're externally trying to remedy what needs to be handled internally. And it sounds like that's, that really has come full circle for you. Well, um, here's the deal. Yeah. Here, here's the deal. Yes, I was striving to feel good, right? And so all the successes and all the achievement was so that I would feel good about myself. Because the truth is, I wanted to portray to the world that I had my shit together. And I was all about looking good. But on the inside, I felt broken and I felt like damaged goods. Because things happened to me in my younger years that made me question who I was and made me question, am I enough? Am I worthy enough? Am I, you know, all of those things. So the truth is I was, my successes were masking my shame, my guilt, my disgust about certain things that had happened in my younger years, because I didn't want people to see that side of me. And that is where there's inauthenticity. That is where like the facade and, and the funny thing about it is, It took a bomb for me to shatter the facade, which needed to be done in order to break me open, so to speak, to let the light in. And so that I could do the work to rise up from that experience, 
you know, that is the opportunity here is to lean in and allow yourself to just be who you are. Listen, we are told exactly like you said, we, we have to be a certain way. We can't do this and we can't do that. It's like, oh my gosh, like there's all of these rules around how you need to be. And if you're not that, you know, shame on you. Mm -hmm. Here's the deal. As human beings, we make mistakes. We do shitty things from time to time. Mm -hmm. Some, some, you know, worse than others. But at the end of the day, we're all human and we're all one. And we owe it to ourselves to bring forth the best version of ourselves and the best authentic version. But that means, listen, I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't have the traumas I had. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be resilient. I wouldn't be strong. I wouldn't have the courage to sit here before you and talk about it. And that's, that's really it. Like that, all of that made me who I am today. And there are parts that, you know, and it's like being, being okay with it and allowing yourself to have compassion for all of it and to, and to really integrate that because without darkness, we don't know light. That's right. Without contrast, we can't grow. It's, it's like this. I've, I've come to understand now trauma in our life is the shit they put on seeds when they want them to grow, right? Mm -hmm. So what do farmers use? They use, they use, most of them use manure, right? Mm -hmm. And then what happens? The seed eventually grows and it blossoms into this beautiful thing in, in, most, in most scenarios, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what if the trauma is meant and designed to do that for us? Mm -hmm. It's actually a growth opportunity rather than a punishment and a curse like I used to think it was. It's so easy for me to be who I want to be when I'm in coaching circles or I'm at retreats or whatever, but the true testament, the place where I grow, the place where my character is really being called for is in the middle of adversity. It's when I'm around people where I need to use my voice, where I need to speak up. Those are the opportunities where I actually grow. Uh, but what I will say about that is if somebody is out there and you're in that sort of depths of despair place. And, you know, maybe you're, you just got news that your partner wants a divorce or you got a horrible diagnosis or God forbid you experience something as egregious as what Jennifer's talking about. I don't think that it's reasonable to ask people to find meaning right now. <laughs> I do think that there is an evolution no. of, of how we need to go through it. In fact, I'm not sure if you've, um, if you're familiar with this much, but the, the book on grief and grieving by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and David Kessler, you know, they have sort of these five steps of, of grief that we've actually highlighted in another episode, but David Kessler recently has come forward with a, like a sixth step of dealing with grief, which is meaning. And I really think how that all unfolded as far as having this new step of grief being finding the meaning in the trauma is huge, but there's also five other fucking things to go through too. There's the anger, there's the sadness, there's the bargaining, there's all these other things. So, um, I just want to put that out there as just a caveat, depending on where you are in the middle of your trauma as you're listening, because finding the meaning in the middle, it, it's almost like I I've used the analogy of if, if your arm gets cut off, it's not the time to like ask what's going on and like, how, why did this happen? Maybe, or maybe I should try acupuncture. Like right now it's acute trauma. We need to get through however we can get through. And then we search for meaning when we're, when we're capable, when we're able. And it sounds like you almost got to a 
breaking point where you're like, I can't sustain this rage any longer. I can't be wanting to harm these attackers anymore. Like now it's stifling my healing. It was two years. Yeah. It was two years. So it is a process, right? And what I've learned is it doesn't have to take two years either, right? And so that's the key that, you know, you know, the way I look at it is I went through what I went through so I can share the wisdom and insights to make other people's journey, you know, easier. Not that it's easy, but easier, right? Because it doesn't have to take years to go through this. And it's not, it's not a flip of the switch either, right? You here's the thing, people. It's like, just be, just allow yourselves to be who you are in this moment, right? And in, in this moment, that's all we have. And so you might, I was triggered this morning. I was in a business meeting and I was triggered, right? And I ended up 20 minutes into it being in tears, mm-hmm. right? I didn't expect that to happen. It just did. But I actually had to excuse myself from the meeting early to give myself the space I needed to process those emotions, not stuff them, not run from them and not hide from them, but actually get myself in a position so I could get on another interview that I had scheduled after that, right? So, you know, it's being aware of what do you need in this moment? You know, you might need space. You might need to just have a good scream. You might need a hug. Right. But like, what is it that you need in this moment and allow yourself, give yourself permission to have that. Right. And and it's like, it is a process folks. It is not like one and done, you know, it's going to be nine years since this experience. And, you know, I still deal with bouts of anger. I haven't been in the rage place in, in a number of years. And I think it's because of all of the inner work that I've done. And because I don't allow myself to, I don't stuff like I used to, I don't allow myself to get to that place of rage. I do get angry and I get pissed off, right? Sure. But there's nothing wrong in that. I think we live in a society, it's like, oh, you can't, you can't experience fear. You can't, you can't have anger, you can't have sadness. It's bullshit. It's complete bullshit. It's like we have those emotions and that is how we heal and it's how we grow. And when we stifle that, we literally are slowly killing ourselves. I think in its worst form, when we continue to stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff, we use other things outside of ourselves to soothe alcohol, sex, drugs, mm-hmm. food, overachieverism, right? Mm-hmm. Any of those things. Because we're out of balance. We're trying to get back into balance by looking outside of ourselves. The answer is not outside of ourselves. The answer is within ourselves. Yeah. And that's, that's the shit that nobody taught us, right? They said it's over here in this degree, or it's over here in how your body looks, or it's over here in accomplishment. And I think so many of us are just undoing that really harmful rhetoric that we all grew up with. And a lot of it is around emotional intelligence. It's around this idea that you get Mm -hmm. to actually be things other than happy. You can be angry. You can, you can feel all of these things And so that you can experience the breadth of your humanity. And you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but you know, that's what our lady Brene always talks about with, you can't selectively numb emotion, you numb the dark, you numb the light. So that means the more you try to say, I don't feel this rage. I don't feel this anger. I don't feel this shame, this embarrassment, guilt, et cetera. 
you are also quelling your ability to feel ecstasy and bliss and euphoria and happiness and thrill. So it's not like we're just, Hey, go feel that pain for the hell of it. It's actually because there's bliss on the other side of it. And there was, there was something that I found so poignant about your story. And I would love for you to talk about this a little bit as we've been discussing rage and how Mm -hmm. I, at least as an observer of your story, it seems like one of the biggest elements of healing or sort of the antithesis of that rage was forgiving these men was actually forgiveness. And I can't tell you how many times I've engaged with clients and students where I've said forgiveness is really something that it's almost like trying on a new outfit where you have to just go inside the store and just, just try that on a little bit. We're not going to buy it yet. You know, forgiveness is one of those things that we have a real hard time wrapping our head around because we conflate it with agreeing or letting that person off the hook or saying, I think that thing they did is acceptable. So you have an experience where you were able to read your victim impact statement. I would Mm -hmm. love for you to share that moment of healing that happened for you in that courtroom. Let me quickly share with you leading up to that. Sure. So I was given the opportunity to do an impact statement. It took me two months to write a six page impact statement. And it's not because I didn't know the impact of that experience. I did. But to sit down and actually write it and have to face it and to and see not only the impact on myself, but those around me that I love and who love me. And then hearing in survivor group meetings how people are choosing to, you know, express themselves, which they have, everybody has a right to express themselves how they choose, right? And they were at a similar spot that I had been at, which was this rageful place and just hate place. Mm -hmm. But I started to have a turning point. And for me, I had a choice to forgive the unforgivable or to continue to fester my rage that had already been going on long enough. And I frankly felt like a prisoner to it. Mm. I, I wrestled with every, these very things that you just spoke about. How could I do that? That's basically silently saying to them, it's okay what they did to me and to the four people that lost their lives and to the 263 other people that were seriously injured from that experience. Not to mention the entire community in the world that was impacted by that, right? Because everybody was impacted by that to some degree, there's this hold. There's an energetic hold. When we choose not to forgive, we might not view ourselves as a victim um, consciously, but the truth is if if we're not willing to forgive energetically, we are holding ourselves to victims to that experience. That is where I said to you, I felt like a prisoner. And I was like, you know what? I deserve, I deserve to set myself free. I love myself enough It's not about him and his brother in this scenario or anyone for that matter. We think it's about them. Forgiveness is like cutting the bond and it's setting yourself free to be able to rise up and to move on. Mm -hmm. It actually isn't about them. It's about setting yourself free. Although we think it's about them. Um, And I will say in that moment, so I was one of 27 people that got up and spoke that day. I was only uh, two or three that actually chose to forgive. Everyone else, you know, chose to to express their rage and no judgment because I was there myself. But I'll never, ever, ever forget 
this young man never had the courage to look any of us in the eye throughout the entire court proceedings. Okay, this particular day, we're reading our impact statements, and he was supposed to be sitting in front of us and looking at us. Of course, he was staring off, you know, um, off against the wall and making no eye contact. So when I got to the very last page of my impact statement, where I, I basically said, despite all that you and your brother have done to me, my family, my community, and my fellow survivors, I choose to forgive you for all of it. And in that moment, we shared eye contact for a brief moment. And I will never forget the feeling I had in my body. It was literally like I set myself free and I had this overwhelming amount of peace, something that I hadn't had in a couple of years. And if you had said that that would happen, I wouldn't have believed you because mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know what to expect on the other side of it. But that is the truth. I had this overwhelming amount of peace. And you know what happened? My healing exponentially soared. Yes. So that is, so listen, we have every right to feel the way that we feel. Mm -hmm. And we also have every right to set ourselves free. Mm -hmm. Because if we love ourselves enough and care enough about ourselves, we will stop drinking the poison of rage and anger. Again, it doesn't mean we don't experience it, but as I indicated in the beginning of this call, is that if we allow ourselves to express it, it generally passes within 90 seconds. If we just witness it, just be a witness to it. Oh, here we go again. Okay, great. I'm just gonna allow that to come up and out of me. And on the other side of that, in my experience, is profound peace, is bliss, is ecstasy, is all these other things. I can't even begin to describe what it's like. That's right. When I, when I talk to people about specifically about forgiveness, and I don't know if this is religious influence, if this is, you know, the way I was raised, I don't know, but I do find that a lot of people have a difficult time with that semantic of the word forgiveness, because it's, it's hard to frame it into, I'm doing this actually for me, not for you. So what I oftentimes encourage people to do is to change the phrasing. If, if, if that feels like too much of a jump, instead of saying, I forgive this person saying, I choose to not carry the burden of this any longer. I'm not going to carry this anymore. And so that can also feel, you know, powerful for you in the sense that I'm letting go of this for me. And I still find, and I'm curious if this is your experience or not. In the personal development space, I think this concept of forgiving others or even self from past indiscretions is one of the most challenging pieces of healing. And so I say that as a take your time with your journey, take it. It's a precious, precious journey of healing. So if it feels outlandish of like, there's no fucking way I could forgive. That's okay. You just have to be in that place where you're of inquiry. Like, well, what would that look like? What if Jennifer's onto something here? What if I could experience something super egregious and come out the other side and forgive and have, and just explode my healing. Right. So, uh, I love everything that you're sharing here. I'm curious if, if there's anything that you would want to leave people, if they are in a fresh place of rage, not wanting to forgive somebody feeling as though, oh gosh, now I've got all this childhood stuff. I have to, 
trauma I have never looked at. And I just want to keep the door closed. What would you say to them? What, what's their first step? I, I personally believe to do some of the inner work privately. What do I mean by that? Mm. So I, I shared with you that I had a business meeting this morning that didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. And I got upset when I spent some time later, like really going, why was I so upset? It actually brought back a memory of a childhood trauma or like an aspect of, of the childhood trauma that I hadn't, I hadn't dealt with. Right. And it was like, okay, now I have an opportunity to deal with it. To be clear, I have no desire to be in communication with the person that did this to me in my childhood. However, I owe it to myself to do the inner work. So what does that look like? For me, it looked like writing down on a piece of paper, why am I so triggered by this? What is it about this person that I am upset with? What is it about myself that I'm upset with, right? And actually, literally do, and I, I talk about this in my book, Shattered. There's an exercise in the back of the book about forgiveness. And I take people through a step-by-step -step process. You literally can do this on your own. You do not need to be in front of the person. You do not need to confront them. You literally can do the work for yourself. You don't even have to tell anyone that you're doing it. You could do it in secret if you wanted to, mm -hmm. but you owe it to yourself to allow that to come up and be processed. Now, was the timing good this morning? No, this was a precursor to an interview I had in a full day. And I was like, okay, well, I can, I, I have a choice. I can put that aside and pretend like it's not there, but that was being inauthentic. So I did, I had 10 minutes before another meeting I had, I did some, you know, quick processing, which was just this. I allowed myself to cry. I allowed myself to just be with what I was saying. I, you know, wiped my makeup up and I was like, okay, now get back into the game go into your meeting and then afterwards, you know, take some time to reflect mm -hmm. and recognize, like, I think when people understand, even when this happens, it's actually meant for you, right? It's helping me see there's an aspect of myself that I'm disconnected from or that is unresolved. And it's just an opportunity to bring me, bring it, more of me back home to myself mm -hmm. and to expand my love and my light. And the more that I can expand that, the more that I, I say to people, my life is like a magic carpet ride. It really is. Like if you could say that I went through that horrific experience and I've now gone on to produce and direct films, you know, Emmy award winning, and, and I've been featured in a book with Jack Canfield. These are all things I could never have imagined having done after going through that experience. But I believe that all opened up because I did the inner work and that's what's possible for you. So if you want to live a life where you're thriving, you owe it to yourself to do this work. Be patient with yourself. Find those people like Amy and others in, you know, that are willing to coach you and to mentor you and to be with you as a support group, right? Like find those people who who will hold the space for you and encourage you and empower you to do the work. It's like digging for gold, right? Gold is generally not on the surface. You actually have to go through a bunch of dirt, a bunch of crab, a bunch of boulders and all that other stuff. That's, that's what this process is like, mm -hmm. but you're worth it. You're the gold. So don't give up on that. Like that is the lesson here is like you owe it to yourself to be the best version of yourself. And when you, when you do that, life just becomes magical and, and you'll experience things that will blow you away. 
thank you so much for answering the the call uh quite literally and uh and metaphorically i have so enjoyed introducing you to the pod people and i would love for you to share where can they find out more about you where can they snag some of these books check out the the movie tell them all the places you can go to my website, jennifercoffman.com, and you can find everything there. You can access the movie trailer. If you're interested, you can purchase the movie from there. Um, all of my books are featured there. Um, uh, some of my latest podcasts are there. There's several resources there at your disposal. The one thing that you can do that has been the godsend for me is when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, you say something loving to yourself. Just something loving something that you're proud of about yourself. I used to look in the mirror and I could barely look at myself in the mirror because I didn't like what I used to see. And now I look in the mirror and I say, hey, hello, gorgeous. Hey, gorgeous, I'm really proud that you did that. I'm really proud that you took the time to go allow yourself to experience those emotions today. So that is the one thing you can do. It's free and it takes seconds of your time. Brilliant. You know, one of the things that I've told people as well is, if you stand kind of in the third person and talk to yourself, almost like an, a cheerleader, we actually know from some recent psychological research that it's more palatable for our brains. If we're standing outside of it going, you did such a good job. And Amy, I am so proud of you way to feel your emotions versus I'm so proud of myself. Sometimes that feels like such a jump. So just pretend you're an outside voice cheerleader and, and start with where you are. So brilliant, brilliant, Jennifer. I appreciate it so much. Everybody, please be sure to go check her out, stalk her out, grab the books, check out the film. Thank you again, my friend. I appreciate you answering the phone. I will say be well, and I'll, I'll talk with you soon. Awesome. Be daring. I'll say be daring in, in response to be well, be well and be daring. Nice. All right. Bye, my friend. Bye. Oh, I'm so, so glad that you got to hear that conversation and that she was available to chat with us today. What a testament to what is possible when we choose our own healing and we're as committed to our healing as we are to our pain. And I hope you we're able to extract a handful of nuggets of wisdom from my talk with Jennifer. And please come share with me what you're learning. I hang out the most frequently over on Instagram. You can find me under the handle Hey Amy Green Smith. And I would love to chat with you about it. I will leave you with that for the week. I'll see you around these parts next time. And remember, you are enough, your voice matters. Go out there and speak your bold-faced truth. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Just one more thing. So these podcasts, it turns out, don't actually rate and review themselves. So I would be over the moon if you would leave a review, rate the show, subscribe, and tell anyone you know who needs to start speaking the fuck up for themselves. And if you do, I will give you a mini pig. Just kidding, but I will be so very incredibly grateful. Okay, thank you. Bye.